If you like listening to my conversations with interesting people, you'll love listening to them or watching them on Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service where you can get access to these interviews early and ad-free, as well as bonus episodes from my YouTube channel and exclusive series you can't find anywhere else. Sign up for Nebula by clicking the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversationswithjoe to support the podcast and help promote content that matters. Hi, and welcome to the Answers with Joe podcast. I'm Joe Scott, and today we're going to be talking with Tom Mills from Green Shorts. Tom is a fellow YouTuber and environmental advocate. He runs a few YouTube channels where he teaches people the ups and downs of sustainable living, including one where he's building a house from scratch using green practices. We're going to be talking about how where you live makes a difference to your carbon footprint, why composting is awesome, and the little things you can do in your daily life that can make a big difference for the environment and society as a whole. But before we jump into that, this podcast is brought to you by Cankerboy.com. If you follow the channel, you've heard me talk about it. Cankerboy is a daily vitamin supplement that helps people who get regular, ongoing canker sores and mouth ulcers. And if you're wondering whether this actually works, I'd like to read a testimonial from one of our members. Lance Raymond wrote, Two months ago, I had four canker sores in my mouth, which was a couple more than what's normal for me. I get them constantly, and I usually get at least two at a time. I considered a stretch where I only had one to be unusually fortunate and knew the next one was on its way. I ended up finding a YouTube video featuring Canker Boy and the product, and I decided to give it a try. It's been about three weeks since my last canker sore. Seriously, for the first time in my conscious memory, I do not have a canker sore. I even bit the inside of my lip last week, which carries a 99.9% certainty of me getting a canker sore, and nothing happened. It's healed. Pro tip, don't do that. Hands down, this product has changed my life. If it were up to me, you'd be a Nobel Prize winner. (laughs) Thank you. I never thought I'd be able to say this, but I no longer suffer from canker sores. Straight up, man. Thank you. Lance is just one of hundreds of people who have finally gotten relief from this condition, and it could work for you. We even offer a two-month risk-free trial, so you've got nothing to lose. Give it a shot. It's cankerboy.com. Share it with a loved one who suffers from these things. It could change their life. And it supports the channel, so wins all around. All right, back to the show. So what you're about to hear is a first for me and for this podcast. I don't really have any kind of background in interviewing people. Uh, in fact, since I work from home, I've pretty much all but forgotten how to even hold a conversation anymore. Uh, so that's why I made Tom my guinea pig. Uh, Tom and I have known each other for a couple of years now. He's helped me out on, you know, many times and old school viewers of the channel might recognize him from a video or two back in the day. I think I linked to him in the climate change video I did a while back. Also, I'm still working out some kinks in the audio. I'm not super thrilled with how the sound came out, but, you know, I'll find some solutions for that later on. Uh, Also, at one point, my dogs decided to hold a cage match in my office, so you might hear some dogs rustling around at one point. But, hey, you got to start somewhere. Uh, Anyway, so I hope you enjoy this. Tom talks about some really cool stuff, and I know I learned a thing or two. So sit back and enjoy this interview with Tom Mills. Okay, uh, thank you everybody for joining the Answers with Joe podcast. This is Joe. I'm your host for this evening. And uh, today I am welcoming in uh, Tom Mills from Green Shorts. We're going to talk about sustainable living and green living and and cool stuff that um, ties in a little bit to the topic of the week where I talked about the Paris Climate Accords and uh, uh, what that means to the world and all that kind of stuff. So Tom, thanks for joining. Joe, thanks for having me. It's good to get a chance to talk. Um, I, I did enjoy your video this week. I thought you you, you know, sort of tried to defray this this alarm that people have, and and you know not dismissing concern altogether. So I, I liked of reasons why people shouldn't worry about it. Well, I, I'll confess, I got a lot of that from a National Geographic article that I shared in the in the description. Um, 
a lot of it was from that. And there were a couple of things that I kind of pulled. They actually had six things and then I kind of combined some. So I was, it was inspired by, you might say, but what, what I got out of it was that, you know, there's, there's an industry thing happening right now. And so we don't need to freak out too much because the wheels have already kind of gotten in motion in the direction that we need to be going. And, and yeah, I just thought that was an interesting take on it instead of, you know, just joining in with the, the alarmist stuff. Uh, but let me give because uh, there are some people that have been following my channel for a long time and I've, I've introduced you to them before, but there's also a lot of new people that may not know about you. So why don't you take a minute and tell them about your channel and what you do and let them know who you are. Well, yeah, so I have three YouTube channels. Uh, one I call my education channel. My, my main oh, emphasis that is uh, short videos that help people live a greener life. Green shorts, that's the name. So those uh, I'm trying to keep to about three minutes, three and a half. And I have a new series I'm doing there called 26 Second Green. Really letting people get a taste of something they can do to perhaps change their perspective on and add add a component to their life. And I, I'm about incremental change. And we look at the Paris Accords, it's a global perspective it's the, the largest type of change and the, the most complex perhaps as well and so i think people can make individual changes uh and need to uh, to me that's where the green movement starts is in you know we follow the direction of policy we follow the direction of people that who uh, advocate but we also need to make these changes on our own I also have a DIY channel, Green Shorts DIY, and there I talk about we're creating projects that help people be more sustainable. My top video there right now is a worm tower, how to make a worm tower, worm composting being one way to transform kitchen scraps into garden soil. So much of the time we throw away these nutrients or the remains of nutrients that have come from the soil and they get buried in a landfill and they're gone. So I'm, I love the fact that I can take that into my backyard, make it into soil using worms and several other, I use several other composting devices um, and uh, and uh, you know, we can, it makes a beautiful rich soil that, that, isn't lost forever it's put to use in my garden of growing me more vegetables yeah. and then i have you know i know one of the things you want to talk about today also was my house project i'm in the middle of actually the end of building a, a new home for my family oh, you're getting close to the end of it we're about a month out oh nice and been it's been about seven months in in the making uh six six or seven months now and, you know, we're doing a lot of, with that with regard to sustainability. So it's a green home. It's not too green. There, we, we had to make some budget decisions as well. Um, but uh, I've got a channel that's uh, under development where I'm detailing what makes a greenhouse green. So at least as it pertains to, to my home. So have you built a house before? This is the first time I'm building a home. I've, we, you know, we sold our house a few years ago with the, the goal of building one. Um, I did some assessments on it and it was like, man, 
this house is not green. <laughs> it's very brown. It, it was pretty brown. Yeah. Um, and, and so we've been renting until, you know, find some land. Um, and, and now, now build this house. We took some time finding land because where you build, it has a, a pretty significant um, impact on how, you know, how green um, you can be. Certainly with regard to these certification programs, a lot of certification points come via things like transit. How, how close is bus stop or a rail line or- Oh, um, interesting. Or, you know, can you walk to a store? Can you walk to a restaurant? So that, that, that's, that's super interesting to me because I always think of green building as, you know, kind of recycled materials and, and uh, you know, smart energy efficiency and that type of thing. But I don't think about, I, w- I would never have thought that that was a part of it, that, that you know, access to public transit and, and not burning, you know, gas by driving and stuff like that would, would factor into it. That, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. I mean, in fact, I think for um, our certifier, uh, and actually a third, you have a third-party certifier with, you know, not your builder. Your builder can't certify the house. Someone else has to certify the house because they're kind of keeping, making sure the builder is doing the job they're supposed to do. They're like a regulator um, almost. Exactly. And and that's this third-party verification. So the uh, he was telling me that we can almost get the baseline certification on on location points alone. So just transit, walking ability, you know, assets that are within a certain radius. Um, so that that kind of blew my mind. It's like I don't have to build, you know, much at all green in order to qualify. Of course, we're we're building green, but yeah, that, that kind of opened my eyes to the importance of location. Um, and, and living, because it's not just a green home, it's living green, it's a green lifestyle. And, and so just having access to options to make those greener decisions is, is huge. Well, I mean, again, I'm, I'm just kind of, you're blowing my mind for a second here. Because I mean, if you think about real estate in general, they always say location, 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 but it's like, you know, access to good schools, access to, you know, um, art uh, highway arteries that kind of thing you know and in hospitals and whatnot um but this 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 is a green side of that which i never even thought about before so that's really cool and what, what's what's interesting to me and, and you think about new urbanism right that's kind of a a, a trending topic right now or a trending term where the, these new communities that have green spaces and kind of common space and things like that um a lot of the things that go into new urbanism are inherently green. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for example, you know, we, we had a concert this weekend in downtown Lilburn, which is where we live in, it's in Georgia. It's a, it's the closest city to, it's the closest city to Atlanta in Gwinnett County, the county I live in. So it's about 35 minutes out of the city. But we had a um, along the the rail line that goes through the city, which is not commuter yet. It's it is just a freight line. Um, there is a a kind of wetland area, right, a lowland, um, and they they put in a paved greenway trail that is a huge asset for the community. It's it's the most 
used asset in in Lilburg from a city perspective. But that's green. I mean, that that it's using a land that wouldn't be used for anything else, um, and paving a trail there uh, for people to to walk and run and you know take their pets and just be out in in nature. The train comes by. That's kind of adds a little atmospheric quality to it as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a huge, and that's that is a new new urbanist concept is is green space, greenway connectivity by bike. Like when I take my car to the shop, um, the shop is near the greenway. So I actually throw my bike in the back, take my car in, and ride home on my bike. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, so like, uh, that's the unexpected stuff <laughs> when it comes yeah. to, to the green home thing that I wasn't expecting. But like, what about the more uh, construction type things that, that you guys are doing in terms of, uh, I know you mentioned something about the, the energy efficient or water efficient toilets and, and stuff like that. Yeah. The, um, before I get into what tell you, the, 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 the easiest way to make a home green is to make it tight. And you hear a lot about tight houses um, because it's fairly easy to do if you just pay attention to detail. Most, most homes um, have a hole in them that's about four by four feet square when you add up all, all the cracks and crevices. Oh, okay. And yeah, it's like, it's like leaving the front door open all the time. Yeah. And that's actually how a house ventilates. So a, you know, a, a production builder will oversize the air conditioner in order to make the home comfortable because you're blowing air out the cracks right. in order to not feel drafts. And sometimes you do feel drafts. So th- to make a home green, you start by making it really, but then you need ventilation. You, you, if you have a tight house, you don't have that breathability. You don't get the fresh air unless you bring it in um, on purpose. So mm-hmm. you, the goal is to take that four by four foot hole, and make a new one about this big and then you control it. Hmm. So we actually, so our home has um, code right now is R13 wall in my, in my climate here in, in Georgia. Our walls are actually R29. Um, so when we made it tight in part by having a lot of insulation. We also used a special sheathing that um, has a vinyl layer in it and the seams are taped that becomes the air barrier. House also has a two by six stud instead of a two by four stud, so that gives us that much more cavity mm. in the wall to add insulation. It also that two by six allows us to space the studs further apart um, and still meet the structural guidelines requirements. So we have less wood in the wall, more insulation, because wood is not a good insulator compared to say fiberglass or spray foam. We um, look our we have spray foam on the roof lines. Um, we have dense packed fiberglass in the walls. Uh, we initially were going to do spray foam in the walls, but we can get more R value. R is resistance. That's the mm-hmm. the insulation has the R factor. So and then on the you base where I walls, learned that where I used to work at an REI and we sold sleeping bags that had an R factor attached to them. Ah, cool. So that's that's where I that's where I first heard what what the R factor was. I'm an REI member. Love REI. This is actually an REI shirt. They're they're awesome. 
the green yeah. shorts. I have, I have so um, much like camping gear from when I worked there because they would have employee only sales where you could get stuff that was returned and stuff like that. Um, it's all just sitting in a closet. I haven't been camping in forever. It's kind of sad. <laughs> but the thing that I like about camping gear, I know I'm going on a tangent here, but like camping gear always has like multiple purposes to them. It's almost like spy gear or something, you know, it's like you can drink from it. You can also, you know, make firewood with it. It's like everything has like multiple purposes. It's, it's fun. Anyway. Sorry, I derailed you. You were talking about your house. No, that, that's okay. <laughs> Tangents are welcome. Um, and the trick will be the ADD, getting the ADD brain back to where we were. But <laughs> been talking about the house a lot lately, so it's kind of top of mind. So yeah. um, we have, uh, you know, once you tighten up a house, then you need to think about the proper size of air conditioner or, you know, HVAC. Uh, and so we're able to use um, these units you would see in, um, in Europe or in Japan, the, the wall-mounted mini splits. Mm -hmm. So although two of them are actually hidden, um, two of them are, are wall-mounted. And so we've zoned the house that way. Each unit has its own thermostat. Um, and then there's actually a single compressor unit outside. And what's amazing is it purrs. It doesn't, like, it's not the, huge were, you know, airplane sound engine when the thing turns on. Mm. Yeah. My, my whole house literally shakes. You can, you can literally hear, feel the house go <laughs> when it turns on. Yeah. So the, um, it doesn't, and you know, what's amazing to me is that, you know, we just turned the HVAC on um, because our hardwood floors actually got to dehumidify before they can install it. So it's sitting in the house and they've had the air on. But the house was almost as cool as it is now before we even turned it on and it, oh, wow. just because it was so tight yeah so well insulated that um so that's i mean before you even think about solar or any kind of renewable energy you think about making the house as tight as possible that's and then the as much insulation part say that again the the reduce part of the reduce reuse recycle you got to reduce that's, the amount of right. energy you need to consume Exactly. And, you know, um, that takes us to water. I mean, think about water um, as, you know, America's done a fairly good job since the 70s of conserving water. Um, but we, a lot of times we just think about it as water conservation, when in reality, it's actually when we conserve water, we, we are also conserving electricity because it takes, you know, a lot of electricity to clean the water, mm. to pump it, to treat it in the water treatment plants. And there's also, you know, there's, there's chemicals involved there, but, uh, and then, and then to get it to the piping, um, pumps to pressurize our water lines also requires a lot of energy. So the, when, the more water we can conserve, we have a, you know, impact on, um, on our electricity too. And when that, you know, in, in Georgia, m most or all of the electricity comes from fossil fuels. Um, we, we have, Georgia Power. We've got a couple. There's there's a nuclear facility here, which is still a fossil fuel. Um, there, you know, we've got a little bit of hydropower, but but and then I know we're buying wind, buying wind power from Oklahoma. We can't make that here. There's talk of putting some off the Georgia coast, but that's years Just away. Because the think. wind speed isn't isn't much in that part of the country. Um, I think that has something to do. With 
Um, you know, I, I will say this, where we have grown a lot in renewables is, is solar. Uh, Georgia Power actually, they had something called the Advanced Solar Initiative um, several years ago, and they, they had 310 um, megawatts that was supposed to be used um, as biomass. They were going to burn yeah. a wood byproduct from uh, a, you know, the lumber industry in Georgia, which is big. And they decided instead to use that use that wattage to um, get some solar um, plants going. And so that, in fact, I did a, about a 30 megawatt solar farm down in South Georgia. It was the first one to come online with that program. Yeah, I think I saw that one. Yeah, it, it, it's you, know, you never know it was there unless you were showed shown where it was and. So what we do have in Georgia is the ability to do, to do solar, but that's the only fuel other than the small amount of hydro that we have. The only fuel that's local are uranium's coming from, you know, out of the coal. We still have a few coal burning plants that are some of them being decommissioned. That's coming from out of state. The natural gas is coming from out of state. Hmm. So all of these tax dollars in Georgia are going out of the state to buy fuel for our electricity. Interesting. Now you described nuclear as a form of fossil fuel. What, what do you mean by that? Is it just because you have to dig it up and refine it and do all that? Well, it's uranium. It's coming from, right. you know, the, the uranium is the fuel, which makes it a fossil fuel. Now, I mean, people would argue that, you know, nuclear is a great baseload energy source. It's the kind of thing where you, you start it up and you, turn, you leave it on, for 20 years. I mean, you, you don't, they're very reliable. They're, you know, now there are some emissions, obviously anything that's burning has emissions, but so, you know, solar is often seen as a way to what's called shave the peak where the sun, it produces the most electricity with photovoltaic when the demand is the highest. So, you know, when the sun is bright, people are using their air conditioners. That's when Georgia's peak load is, is the highest. In fact, the power is required by law to generate enough power to meet the peak load. That's, that's why they have to keep building power plants unless we conserve energy. Mm -hmm. So, so you're saying that, Solar is something that when it's producing more, it's also being consumed more. It kind of like rises and falls with the consumption. It's like, yeah, well, it's, it's in a sense, it's meeting demand yeah. most effectively when it's producing most effectively. I got you. So it's that, you know, where your peak, your peak demand goes up, that demand curve would be pointed like this, but solar can cover that top triangle piece of it uh -huh. because it's, when it's generating the most electricity. So I, I saw a video, I believe Vox did it, where they were talking about some new nuclear uh, technologies that have come out. And they, they made some interesting points that I wasn't familiar with, and maybe you're more familiar with it, but it was talking about how um, the, the nuclear power that we're using now is basically 35 years old. Like it's, that's the technology is 35 years old. But there's some newer technologies, and one of them was a type of like, they were like ping pong balls is basically what they were. And, and they had 
I'm going to murder this, by the way. I know I'm getting so many facts <laughs> wrong here, but it was, they, it was, it was, I remember specifically there was, there was like a, a, a glass column that was filled with these balls of uranium. And the way the whole thing was structured was that like, it, it couldn't melt down like at Fukushima and three mile Island and uh, you know, Chernobyl and all that, because uh, the way it was designed was when it got too hot or when it got to the point where it couldn't sustain anymore, it would, it would fall out of this tube and just dissipate. And so it wouldn't, it couldn't be burned. Anyway, it was, it was a new way of doing nuclear that was more efficient and a lot safer. And, um, and that was one of a few different options that they were talking about that uh, w was saying that, you know, um, basically the point being made was that the nuclear energy that we're using is, is older than most of us. <laughs> and, yeah. and that there's newer ones out there, but they just haven't really been adopted yet. And of course, I'm getting comments all the time from people ask about thorium reactors which I don't know that much about. I would need to research it. But um, anyway, I was, I was just curious if you had a take on that on, on, or if you've done any research on newer uh, nuclear options like that. I have, I have not. Um, I, I had a, a, my, a former boss of mine who was an engineer uh, talk to me one time about a, something that sounds like what you were talking about, where you could have, you know, very stable reactors that could power neighborhoods, you know, where, you wouldn't have to um, have these large, you know, uh, super secure facilities yeah. to produce nuclear energy. It, I don't know if that's the same thing, but it sounded like he talked about small ball of uranium, but the, uh, I, I saw a Ted talk probably five years ago now by um, a guy. Um, what's his name? Uh, Microsoft. Paul Allen? No, other guy. Bill Gates? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that that guy. That guy. The guy that did see, the Windows. See, I thought, I thought surely that's why I went with Paul yeah. Allen. I was like, there's no way he's not thinking of Bill Gates' name. So, it was on the tip of my tongue. The other guy. It was the. <laughs> uh, I thought it was going to come to me. Too. Yeah, that's uh, but he had invested um, in. Uh, in a, a nuclear technology that used the waste, the current waste component of the uranium as fuel. Um, and it was the kind of thing where these reactors go deep into the ground and they, they put that fuel in there and it burns down. Um, that's a very limited understanding of what, you know, maybe find that Ted talk and maybe find a link to yeah. in the, the for this this video that's cool so i want to back up a little bit um you are probably the most uh extreme forgive the term green person i know in terms of like how you actually live your life and stuff and um and i i totally admire that and i was just kind of curious like what got you going down that path like where does this passion come from was there something when you were younger or like because uh, you started off as a graphic designer right I mean, I know my, yeah, my vocation was yeah graphic design, and um, I've always had a love for video, and that kind of took me down the path. But you know, I was a I was a scout, um, and and my dad was also in the U.S. military, so I got to live overseas in a couple different places, Korea and Israel. And when you were growing up, yeah, and and. and 
you know, Israel is an amazing place because it's got two seasons. You know, it's got a rainy season and summer. <laughs> and <laughs> when the rain comes, the, the place blooms. There are more, there are more um, species of orchids in Israel than there are in most places of the world, even you know, these subtropical. Um, huh. So the, the absence of water versus the pre, you know the presence of water is all made all the difference in 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 that and i think just you know i've always loved being outdoors loved playing in the creek i've got a creek behind the house we're renting right now and i've been known to play in the creek here so i think you know but so that was kind of a maybe a precursor but i, I went to work for a, an engineering consulting firm did environmental engineering in marketing that's when i got my sort of my start doing video as well and how long ago was that that was 15 okay. 20, 20 years ago when i started working for them and I, what i what I, f I learned a lot about the technology behind water treatment wastewater treatment we we did a fair amount of ideas related to stormwater the problem of stormwater management for a city and I think that kind of helped me recognize what I didn't know, but what also the public didn't know. And I also saw at the same time, you know, we would create these videos for public meetings. And um, when you gave people good information in a way they could understand it, the community made good decisions that of what was best for them or best for the environment. And, you know, it was kind of neat to see that. So that kind of, morphed into as I started my own business um, morphed into thinking I want to educate people um, about what they can do to, to change their to make their life more more green and to do it in an incremental way cool one of the reasons why I thought it'd be good to talk to you I think I set this up a little bit at the beginning was um, the whole Paris Accords thing and I wanted to see if we could talk just a little bit about how individual um, actions and decisions can affect the global situation. Because I mean, we, we, we have this sort of global thing going on and all these, all these countries have joined in, but as we have seen at any time, any of them can drop out. It's all voluntary, so there's no teeth into it or anything. And ultimately when it all comes down to it, countries are made up of people and those, those country decisions are gonna be enacted by the people who live in there. And so um, I know that a lot of people are a little bit dismayed about what's going on and they're concerned about, uh, you know, the, the future and everything. And I was just wondering if, if you could just talk about like, for the people who aren't building a whole house <laughs> like you right. are, uh, you know, what, what are just some simple kind of things that we can do? I mean, these are the kind of things that you talk about on your channel quite a bit, but um, for, if somebody came to you and said, look, I want to, I want to do my part but I also don't want to reimagine my entire life. Like what, what kind of little things can I do? So here's here. Yeah. And, and that definitely dovetails with my mission. And I think that the, the first thing you can do is you can recycle as much as possible. And, and it, you know, see at this, my daughter's soccer field and um, at the sports arenas, aluminum cans in, in with the trash. Yeah. And think about aluminum, aluminum is, you know, it takes 90% less energy 
to recycle aluminum can into a new one than it does to make a aluminum can out of raw um, aluminum or bauxite. Yeah. But j just think about it that way. It's also a commodity. I mean, I take my cans, I don't put my in my recycling, I put them in a special box that I take to the local recycling center and I get paid for cans. And right now it's about 30 cents a pound. So I think just for example, I dropped off a couple of weeks ago about 40 pounds of steel that I'd saved from the house. I saved every little piece of metal I could from the house project. What I'm not going to reuse, I took to be recycled. I had, um, and I had 30 pounds of cans. And the, the cans were worth a lot more. Mm -hmm. Like maybe three or four times as much as the steel. Actually, more than that. So recycling more. Um, yeah. And then, so if I could, like, just a thought that I just had. I feel like just hearing you say that, it almost feels like that is the way things used to be. Like, like the whole throwing, using once and throwing it away thing that we're doing right now. That's a relatively new thing in the big picture. You know, uh, back in the day, our grandparents' time. Obviously, they were shaped by the Great Depression and everything, but I mean, they did collect everything. And they, I remember, you know, my grandparents had a, a little press where they would crush all the cans and, and keep them. And, and we would, I mean, that was something that I remember doing as a kid. And I don't remember it being like a green thing. It was just like the thing you did, you know? Um, and I could see somebody that grew up in that time, you know, collecting all the nails and all the little scrap and then taking them in and, and getting some money for it. Um, I just think it's interesting and I, maybe I'm off, but this is just my commentary. I, I feel like, I feel like that's the way things used to be. And we're kind of going back toward that. Like we kind of got off the rails for a while, especially with like plastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it takes, if you fill up a plastic water bottle about a third of the way with liquid, that's as much oil as it took to make that bottle. And, oh, wow. and and so again, I think you know I, I know the data on the aluminum, but I would that it's a whole lot easier to recycle. Um, you know, it takes a lot less energy to make plastic from recycled plastic than it does from you know new virgin mm -hmm. So I think you know the, the other thing I, I really like would like to encourage people to do is compost. Um, a lot of my videos are about composting different ways. Um, some of them gross, um, but really kind of freakishly awesome at the same time. Because I did, my, I did a trash audit myself. So I dug through three bags of my trash and, um, and pulled out what was recyclable in an alternate way. Like, um, and then what was compostable. And I had probably was, I had a 92% diversion rate even with already pulled out most of the, you know, the single stream recycling, the curbside bin recycling, um, I was still able to divert, you know, 92% more from my trash that didn't have to go in the landfill. Oh, wow. And a lot of the, the lot of the mass, a lot of the weight of that was compostables. And that I, you know, there's lots of different ways to compost. Some of them are no maintenance. You just got to have a place for it. You put it in a pile. And so that, that's huge. To, and then, and then you're creating a beneficial product for your, you know, for your garden or your plants, or you just, 
let it, you know, add nutrients to the trees in your yard. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't have a yard, you know, if you live in an apartment, you can put a small composter on your balcony and then take this stuff to the park. When you go, like just jump in the bushes and dump it out. No one will ever know. Um, I mean, once it's composted, of course, right. <laughs> but, that's, that's, that's everybody's uh, environmentalism tip. Take your trash to the park and dump it in the bushes. Not, and you'll see it. Not your trash. Clean, not we're, your trash. we're clean. You're, you're composted. It's not going in the landfill. That's, that's what's important. It's, it's just going in the park. Yeah, and you know, and and what's interesting <laughs> to me is that landfills are tax dollars. That that is, you know, when they're full, they got to make more, and that hits the tax bill. It's one of those, you know, sort of transparent charges that that we're getting charged for not living sustainably. And, you know, not, what you said about the water and the electricity connection earlier—it's like you don't you don't make that connection, but it's something that's going on in the background. I think. I think in the last five years, electricity costs have gone up 50%. So the, the more you live sustainably, um, the, the more you insulate from inflation. If you look at it at that level, um, the more food you can grow, you know, the, the more you insulate yourself from the food going up. Another, that, another that's, really, that's, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. You're almost like future-proofing yourself against, because uh, that's something else I've talked about on the channel quite a bit, is this sort of like potential for economic disruption as future technologies start to displace jobs and stuff like that. Um, finding ways to kind of prepare yourself, maybe not necessarily in a doomsday prepper way, although some people are in that place. Um, but so it's, it's, it's funny you just mentioned that because my, my wife and I were actually thinking this summer now that she, she's a teacher, so she's going to be out of school, but we're, we're talking about putting in uh, a garden in our backyard to start growing some stuff. Like we, we just went to Home Depot and got a strawberry plant and it's been like, it's like, it's like a magic trick or something. It's like this, this plant makes food. Like you can just eat the strawberry right <laughs> off of the, the plant, you know, it's, 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 I, I think I just, me personally, I've gotten so far away from that for so long. It's just the idea of you can literally grow food. It's, 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 it's like a, it's like a really cool thing. So we're, we're going to look at, at building a, a raised garden in the background where we can start mm-hmm. planting some stuff. Well, you'd be a perfect candidate for composting because the, the yeah, best, do that too. <laughs> the best fertilizer for your, your plants is going to be the nutrients that are coming from uh, those plants once they're, they're you know uh done or once mm-hmm. the, the the scraps so you need to and you put a worm tower right in that garden you put the it's very simple very low maintenance you don't even have to do it with worms you can just do it with um with uh the biology of the soil in fact the worms will come you don't have to buy them um so that that would be you need to couple that with your with your garden is is add adding that composting element yeah i've been meaning to do that for a while and then the other thing you need, this is one other thing I, th- I would encourage people to do is um, a rain barrel. There's some really, I, I've built a lot of different rain barrels in my day, but I came across really, really simple. Um, it's only like 26 bucks. It's the, it's the diverter that you hook up to like a, a trash can you'd buy at Home Depot, rubber trash can, 45 gallons. I've got two of them linked together in my yard right now. I haven't had to turn on the hose 
to water anything at this house, this, the rental house here for the four years I've lived here, never turned on the water outside. So that's, it's better. Water is better for your plants because it doesn't have chlorine. So it doesn't have a disinfectant, Mm. which has a, um, you know, which is necessary for drinking water Mm -hmm. that has a negative impact on the biology of the soil, all those microorganisms that make soil alive and make it effective. So, you know, you know, plants don't take nutrients directly from the soil. They take it from the creatures, the organisms that live on the roots so that the organisms take the nutrients and they convert it into plant usable nutrients, which is to me, I just learned that recently. It's fascinating to me. That's kind of like our own microbiome in our guts. Like we, we couldn't survive without the microbes that are, you know, eating up all the food once we eat it for them. Does that make sense? We're, we're, we're basically feeding bacteria whenever we are eating. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild, isn't it? Yeah. I think no, to me, I, I, one me, of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite little useless facts is that there's like, I don't know the number, but there's, there's far more bacterial cells in your body than actual human cells. Like hmm. you're, you're more bacteria than human really on paper (laughs) (laughs) numerically maybe (laughs) the um so yeah rainwater is a a great resource and think about this you know before our homes were here before our driveways were here the the water went directly into the land it went right into the soil and it filtered out into the streams via you know subterranean Mm -hmm. uh, travel um, what we've done is create impervious surface, you know, roofs, driveways that the water can't soak through. And so that water then becomes runoff. So not only, not only is it water you can use uh, for your plants, it's better for them, but it's not having that volume, that velocity impact on, on the local stream and, and causing, you know, um, that has an impact down the stream. So so speaking of runoff, I know that one of the big problems is people use fertilizer and that runoff picks up the fertilizer and it gets into streams and rivers and then the algae blooms and it kills off all the stuff underneath. And um, is that, would you say that's another reason to do composting as opposed to, I mean, could composting take the place of fertilizing, say a yard? Um, potentially. I, I, I think that, you know, in America, we love our emerald carpet, you know, <laughs> Uh, and I think we don't need to have as much yard as we do. That's a personal preference. Um, I'll have a a little bit of grass at, at our new house, but because my wife wants a little bit of grass, we'd have maybe zero grass. I I think part of the problem is grass. Another part of the problem is that we over fertilize. We're not following the directions on the packaging. Um, and yeah, you can use, you have to generate a lot of compost potentially to fertilize the whole yard, but you could, you know, from a pile of leaves, um, you know, do a big compost pile with leaves and add your food scraps to that. And, and then, you know, chop that up and, and top dress your lawn with that at the beginning of the season, it would probably, you know, get, get you pretty. So, uh, it's probably about time to start wrapping this up, but I wanted to get your perspective on this. So like, 
what would you say to somebody, which I, I hear this in my comments, I've gotten several of them today, actually. Uh, what would you say to somebody that is kind of like, look, when you have China and India polluting so much and all these other places around the world and big oil and all these other things, like what, what difference can I make in my home? What's the point of that? Like, what, what would your response to somebody like that be? Because there's something driving you. That's what I'm trying to get at here. There's something that really drives you to do this. And I want to know where that, that passion is coming from and how that can be conveyed to other people. Well, I mean, if you look at your, your individual impact, um, it is, it is, you know, it's not much in the face of, uh, the world at, at, at large or as a whole, but I, and it's a tough question because I guess the reason I do it and the reason I would encourage is we got to start with somewhere. And, you know, if it makes sense too, and I think the, to me, educating people, the biggest battle is the, the, the hardest hurdle is getting people to do things that are more difficult than what they're doing now and, or require a little more effort that's just psychology, you know? <laughs> and so I think um, the reason I do it is, I guess, to be an example. Um, and and it, it makes me happy, I mean, to, to do this. And I think that if, I mean, you've heard me talk about this enough that you can tell when I'm kind of jazzed, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that when other people start adding these components to their life, that, it's going to give them a sense of satisfaction that that can grow. I mean, that's the, the beauty of it. I think is there's so many things we can do to live greener. Um, and some of them are free. A lot of them are low cost. It just requires a little effort on our part. And yeah, there's some expensive options too, but I think the more we do, the better we feel that's, and, and, and then the benefit to the planet, to our community as a whole is, is also, is also good. Well, that seems like a good place to, to leave it. Uh, where can people find you? Um, green shorts with a Z. Uh, if you search that on YouTube, you'll, my three channels should pop up one word, G R N S H O R T Z. And of course, greenshorts.com is my website but i'm really you know youtube is where it's at right now just because of the community aspects of that lots of comments there i mean you know you know how much engagement is important and that's yeah. how you you know connect with people and and affect their lives in a positive way yeah well, uh, I encourage everybody out there to go check out Tom's channels. Um, I've been watching them for a while, watching his house come together. I've learned a ton. Um, and um, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think that if for no other reason than just that it makes you feel good, these are things that, that enhance your life in some way. And um, I need to be doing more of them, as you've told me many times. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely going to get a composter, especially if we get that garden going this year. That's definitely something I'm going to do. Anyway, so uh, I, I encourage all of you to go check him out. And um, Tom, I, I appreciate you doing this on our inaugural interview. That's right. You're, you're the guinea pig. Joe, thanks for having me on the podcast. And I have to say this, that 
that another thing that empowers me is just the amazing um, natural environment that we have. I think about a lot of the videos you've, you know, some of these complex things that you've talked about um, have helped fuel my inspiration as well. So I think that when you look at um, the fact that a leaf generates energy from light and then, but it's organic dies and goes away and then is, you know, becomes soil. I mean, it's, it, it, it's when you look at it from a fascination standpoint, that's empowering as well. Mm-hmm. I like that. Well, cool. Uh, Tom, thanks again. And uh, I'll be, we'll be signing off now. Thanks for having me, Joe. Talk to you soon. So there you go. I uh, want to thank Tom for being the inaugural guest on the podcast. A few takeaways here. One is composting is awesome. Even if you just live in an apartment, what you can do is just buy a small composter, put it on your balcony or back porch, and you can turn your scraps into active soil. It's an amazing thing in nature. Also, if you want to live green, consider your location. Is it walkable? Do you have access to public transportation? Can you ride a bike to get places and so forth? And mostly, just being conscious of your consumption and your waste, that goes a long way. You know, with all the hoopla around the Paris climate news, um, I'm hoping that it triggers a reaction in people that they can take this kind of stuff into their own hands and make a difference, not just for the world, but for their own pocketbooks and, you know, just a sense of karma or community, whichever one of those is more important to you. So with that, I'll wrap this up. Uh, Thanks for listening. And if you want to hear more, please subscribe to the podcast. It's available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you can find all my content, videos, blogs, and whatnot at AnswersWithJoe.com. Now go out there, have an eye-opening week, and I will see you next time. Love you guys. Take care.